Above all things, have fervent love for one another. Fervent. It's a cool word. The word, the way it's used here, actually means to stretch out or to extend. It was used to describe a horse at full gallop and a runner straining for the tape at the finish line of a race. Okay? Fervent love for one another. Sometimes to love people, it's a stretch for us. It, it, it takes a, a lot of extension on our part to reach out to that person. You could use it that way. But I like the, the horse at full gallop. If a jockey is at the, you know, the final, what do they call it? Right. So, what? Furlongs? If he's like in the final stretch. Um, <laughs> there you go. Um, you think the, the jockey's like, you know what, you've been working hard. You know, just, just ease up a little bit. All right, I like this. Yeah, right. He's like, I want that money. And he's booking it as hard as he can. You think a runner is like, he comes around that last turn, he's making it for the home stretch, and then he looks, decides to look at his watch. What? No. Fervent love is like carrying it out all the way to the end, striving so that, you know, You're at the peak of your performance, basically. They teach you as a marathon runner to conserve some of your energy. So you don't just like sprint and then fall short. And then sprint and fall short. And always have to take a break. You conserve it. You have it. And then right when it's needed, bam. Fervent love for one another. How many of us love each other that way? Horse at full gallop all the time. No. A lot of times I have my horse running the other direction. I'm like, there's no way I'm loving that person. I'm booking out of there. A lot of times I thought I was running, you know, this regular 100-meter dash, and I arrive at the track, I'm, you know, taking off my my warm-up suit, and all of a sudden I realize there's a lot of hurdles here. Sometimes loving people can be like that. You're like, wait a minute, I've never done a hurdle in my life. My wife used to do hurdles, actually. That was something I found out. I was like, you used to run hurdles? That's crazy. And she's like, yeah, I did. And then one race, I was at the very last one, and I got, I hit it. And I fell, and I was embarrassed, and I stopped completely. (laughs) Another funny story about my wife. She's like, I played softball in eighth grade. I got bored in the outfield, and I was sitting in the grass. (laughs) And all of a sudden, they hit the ball to me. And it never happened. And I didn't have my glove on. And I was trying to get it on. And the ball hit me on my thumb. And I br- like broke my thumb. And then I stopped playing softball. It's kind of funny. Fervent love for one another. I can guarantee you that however much you love your friends, you don't love them enough. And I can even, probably it's even less of a shot in the dark that the people that you don't like, I'm sure you don't love them enough. You're like, what? I don't like them. How could I love them? That's what God calls us to do. He's like, you're like, that person's annoying. Doesn't matter, love them anyway. Your parents are annoying. Does that mean you don't love them anymore? Actually, it's not that your parents are annoying, it's just that you think they are. But really, your parents are like, man, my kids are annoying. And it's vice versa, it works out. And then you get to be like my age, and you're like, wow, mom, I was a real jerk. <laughs> like, and I'm, 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 you know, it's a slow revelation process that I'm just kind of going through right now. I'm like, Sorry, Mom, that I, you know, we were kind of poor. And I was like, I want McDonald's now. And I didn't understand why we couldn't have it. 
I'm like, I'm sorry. And she's like, yeah, thanks. That was like 15 years ago. But why? And I, you know, sometimes you get, you feel guilt about stuff that happened like way. Never mind. But uh, maybe that's just me. <laughs> Have fervent love for one another. He says, for love will cover a multitude of sins. We know of one perfect love that covered all sins, right? That's the love that Jesus had for us. Love that... Loved us so much that he stretched out his arms and proved how much he loved us on the cross. Covered all of our sins. But he say, the Bible actually says, you know, hatred stirs up strife. Love covers all sins. That's what we listened to at the beginning. That means that if you have a friend that screws up and you love them, you're not like, what an idiot. You know what he did? <laughs> you know what he said about that person? Hey, do you know what he said about you? <laughs> I'm going to get him. Watch this. That's not love. If somebody does something to you and you're like, all right, I forgive you, and then they do something else, hey, you know what? I don't forgive you about that thing anymore. How about that? And you're like, what? I thought you... No. Love doesn't continually drudge up sins and be like, you know what? Ten years ago, when you stole my cookie and I said it didn't bother me, you know what? It did. That's not love. That's like harboring hatred so that you can... Unleash it at the right time so you can get what you want. That's not cool. Fervent love for one another. That's like a jockey driving his horse hard, right? Fervent love. He's like 10 lengths ahead of everybody else. And all of a sudden he's just like, you know what? And he turns around and he starts running into the other horses. Like, why would you do that? He's like, you just made me mad. No. That's not really like that at all. I'm sorry. I thought I had it, but it just kind of left me there. Let's move on. Verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Oh, man. This is a hard one. Hospitable. Open your home up to people. Open your stuff up to people. Hold on, guys. There are times when you can talk and laugh and and stuff, but just hold on. Got to get through this. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Hey, um, I lost my money. Somebody took it. You think, I'm sorry to ask, but I'm really thirsty. You think you could, you know, spot me and I'll pay you back? Sure. Yeah, right, like this guy's ever going to pay me back. You don't get a crown for that, sorry. I'm giving you of my bountiful money flow or cash flow. But you know, I don't want to. I'm just doing it, you know, because it makes me look good. No, that's not being hospitable. Hospitable, especially in these days, you could, it was, you were in trouble if you housed or, or had somebody who was a part of the way, as it was called, a Christian, someone who believed that Jesus was the answer. You were like shunned if you allowed those people into your homes. And he's saying, you know what? Open up your life. Not just your home, but let people in. You know? Be willing to share things with people. Not like, you're going to go back to your room. Hey, can I see your cell phone? No, we're not supposed to have them out. Dude, didn't you hear about sharing? You totally missed the message. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about sharing, okay? There's, there's some things that we can share our time. It doesn't have to just be, you know, items. Share in our friendship. We can be hospitable without grumbling. Junior hires are grumblers. High schoolers are grumblers. College and career people are grumblers. 30 and older, grumblers. 40 and older, grumblers. And it goes on. People are just grumblers. 
That's just the way it works. God says, don't be a grumbler. It's something that we have to work on. As each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Some of us have different gifts and talents, spiritual gifts. Some, you know, pastors get the word of knowledge and some people have the gift of tongues. Some people have different, you know, the gift of helps that they just, they really love. God's blessed them with money and they love to, you know, help people out that are struggling and anonymously. They don't want the credit for it. They just want God to, you know, get the glory for the, the blessings that he's bestowed upon them, the gift of wealth or whatever it is. There's a gift of exhortation. There's all these different things. And, you know, not even just spiritual gifts. God gave you a great voice. Cool. Minister to one another with it. Sam Lenny said that I remind him of his brother because I just burst into song. Right? You remember you said that. You said it at lunch today. I do that sometimes. Now, it's not always a great song. It's like some song that I heard, like, somewhere. I'm like, oh, wow, this song stuck in my head. Oh, this is awful. But, you know, the Bible says to encourage one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sorry, I said songs twice. If you have a good voice, minister to one another with it. If you can play an instrument, minister to the congregation with it. Don't be like harboring that in. No, this is just for me. This is something that God gave me and it's between us. No. God gives you a gift. Share it. We're going to have an opportunity. We're going to be doing the crosswalks in action. Crosswalk in actions again. Going to nursing homes. We're going to need people to share some of their talents. Something you guys can think about, pray about. If you dance, dance for the Lord. If you can rap, rap for the Lord. If you can rap presents really well, rap for the Lord. We do outreaches to the inner city, and we do, you know, sometimes we do Christmas, um, you know, adopt a family and things like that. If you have a gift, minister to one another with it. Don't be like, I'm a really good singer, and you're not. That's not ministering to somebody. That's like putting them down. As good stewards of the manifold, or the many-colored, or the many-faceted grace of God. God is so diverse, and it's awesome. I mean, look at the faces in this room. It's not all white. It's not all black. It's not all Latino. It's not all Asian. It's mixed. It's very diverse. And God's gifts aren't all the same. And that's cool, too. You're like, well, you know, I can't really play guitar. Well, that's cool. I play, you're like, I play the oboe. I mean, that's not that cool. Yes, it is. I can't play a wind instrument to save my life. I pick up a flute. It's like... (laughs) Like, flute's supposed to be like a high sound, but somehow I get like a bass note out of it. I don't get it. So you know what? If you play oboe, or hopefully oboe's a wind instrument, I don't even know, but I think it is. You're better than that, better at that than me. Probably better than Brian. Probably way better than Mike at the oboe. I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't, sorry. God is so, there's so many different things about God that you just, you got to discover. You know, God's not like, this is the way it is. You, play guitar. But I can't do it anyway. You, play guitar. But I can't do it anyway. Like, God's like, here, I'm going to give you, you know, the ability to make people laugh. I'm going to give you really good hands in football. You know, people are going to get, they're going to be like, wow, that guy's really good. And you can give honor and praise to the Lord. And it ministers to people. You're like, man, I'm real, I like that, that NFL guy. You know, he hustles. And he's a believer. He gives God all the credit every time they interview him. You know, that ministers to people. I'm glad to see that even though people 
are in the limelight, they don't take the credit for themselves. I mean, just whatever it is. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Some people get a word from the Lord. You don't have to, you know, don't, um, you know, don't give your own opinions. If God's telling you something and you're to share it, give God the credit for it. He's like, speak as the oracles of God. Like, you know what I'm saying? This is from the Lord. This isn't just my opinion. And you know what? I'm not going to get the credit for it because God's speaking right now. And, and, and these are just some of the different things that you can do with the gifts that God's given you. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. Now, some of you may be like, hey, I play guitar. I'm like, yeah, really? Yeah. And you just, and you're like, okay, you don't really play guitar. Like, that's okay. Some people aren't given the gift to play guitar. And I just say guitar because that's something that I can do. There's tons of other different gifts and talents that I just can't think of them off the top of my head. We had people that used to do karate. We had a fencing at talent show, which almost caused the death of three young ladies. <laughs> there are different gifts that people have, and you're like, wow, I would never think of that. But you know what? I would never get up into that routine and try to fence, because that's not one of the gifts that God's given me. And you're glad. I'm sure. Um, he says, do it with the ability that God supplies. Not in your own, like, yo, look how I can play guitar so good. Or, that was so grammatically incorrect, but it's okay. Look how awesome I am at football. Look how great of a swimmer I am. Check out these dives. Not even a single splash. Whatever it is, don't take the credit. God gave you the ability. He supplies it. Someone said, we do it with the strength that God provides, the ability that God supplies, so that to him be... Long the glory and dominion forever and ever. And that's what he says. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, get back to suffering here. We were talking about serving the Lord. Now we're back to suffering. Beloved, do not think it's strange. And that word strange, same as when the people think you're strange, is foreign, actually, the word. It's like like something that's completely outside of our thinking. These people are going to think you're weird because you want to follow Jesus. Now, you don't think it's weird that they don't like you for it. Beloved, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial. And the word fiery trial, it gives the idea of like a furnace. Something that refines gold. It's interesting because trials for Christians, God uses them for our perfection. And the fire upon unbelievers is something completely different. It's the judgment. The reason we don't receive judgment is because Jesus took the wrath of God for us on the cross. Someone said, what fire does to straw is completely different than what fire does to gold, but it's still fire. If it's straw, it burns it up. But for gold, actually heats it up so that it can be purified. And you can look at it that way. For somebody who's an unbeliever, you know, the judgment and the discipline of God can be a terrible thing. Because it can mean separation for eternity. But for a believer, when God is, you know, chastising you and disciplining you, it's for your perfection. It's for your betterment. It's for your improvement. He says, don't think something strange has happened to you. Like, what's going on? Why is this happening? Peter actually says in in chapter 1, verse 6, Yeah, there we go. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. 
that the genuineness of your faith, being more, much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying, there's some trials, they may last for a little while if necessary, and it can be grievous to you, it can be really strenuous, but it's so that the genuineness of your faith will be purified even more than gold. Because gold, even gold can perish. But God perfects us to everlasting life. And it's cool. It's, it's so cool. To think. Like when God allows trials into our lives, it's not something that we should, you know, be like, God, why? Gil talked about a little bit today with trials. When you have endured and you've been approved, you receive the crown of life. That's a promise from the Lord. When you endure that trial and you stand up under it, you're being perfected, and you get a promise from the Lord. He says, when you endure that, you get the crown of life. Um, James chapter 1. When Gil said this morning, James chapter 1, I was like, oh no. But he didn't talk about this verse, so. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Yippee! People hate me, all right. No. That's not a natural reaction, but James says... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. When things get rough and tough. You know why? Because you can say, God is in control. God is allowing this to happen. Megan said it in her testimony. Trust God. Those who trust in the Lord, he will renew their strength. She quoted the verse. It's actually Gil's favorite verse, I think. You'll mount up on wings of the eagles. Isaiah 41.10. When you fall into trials and you realize God has ordained this, God is allowing it to happen, you're like, all right, cool. This is all right. I can count it joy. Now, Peter is going to say in a couple verses, you know, sometimes people are being persecuted for just, you know, things that they did wrong. But he's saying, when you fall into various trials, know that the testing of your faith produces patience. That's really cool. It produces also, patience is, in some of the translations, also perseverance, endurance. Just like the runner. And then you can have fervent love. It all ties together. You know, you get endurance, you can, you can run the race. I fought the good fight, I finished the race. Isn't it cool how the Bible kind of ties together? You, sometimes we forget that, don't we? We're like Old Testament, New Testament, whatever. Gil talked about today, like Leviticus. I think that was today. Maybe I may be getting like Wednesday night study and things like that confused. But when he's like, wait a minute, Leviticus, it points to Jesus? You would never think that, but that's what the Bible is. It's really cool. It encourages me. Hopefully it encourages you. It's not just random words. Some people try to say a bunch of men just threw it together. The, the odds of all the different authors putting this together and having it all coincide, all written at different times of... of uh, you know, existence on planet Earth, hundreds of years apart, thousands of years apart, and it all kind of ties together in one thought that's like impossible. So if anybody tries to tell you it's a book of fairy tales, they're gravely mistaken. He says, rejoice, just like James said, count it all joy to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. You get to be like Christ when you suffer. And that's a cool thing. Because he said that I'm going to change you and transform you into my image, to have the same mind that I have, to be more and more like me, not more and more like the friends that influence you, more and more like him. Sorry, I got a tickle again. 
He says, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. And this is really cool. Peter may be remembering Matthew 5.11, the Beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed are you when all men revile you. I, just, I don't want to misquote it. So. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. Notice, for my sake. Somebody's just making fun of you because you're stupid and because you did something dumb. It's not like, oh, you should be happy. For my sake. If people are are making fun of you and persecuting you and judging you because you're a Christian, you should be happy. Because you're living your life right. Remember, he said, you know, the world didn't like me. They're not going to like you. So if they don't like you for being like me, then you're all right. You're doing it right. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Peter, when Jesus had said that in the Sermon on the Mount, may have been like, suffering for your sake. What? It was still kind of early in the ministry. And now, after being excommunicated, proclaiming Jesus, after being arrested and thrown in prison multiple times, he can say, you know what? I'm blessed. Because I was allowed to suffer for Christ's sake. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You know, you don't have to strain. You don't have to stress or worry. Because literally, what this is saying is that when you're reproached, when you're made the fool because of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It actually is the same word rest when he says, I will give you rest. It's actually... The Spirit of God rests you. And that's really cool. You don't have to like strain and be anxious and fearful because people are making fun of you and stuff. You can be at rest because you know you're in the will of God. On their part, he is blasphemed. People will make fun of you and say, God, where's your God? You're going to be a Jesus freak? And you're like, yeah, I am. All right. On their part, he's blasphemed. They're making fun of Jesus. But on your part, he's glorified. Because remember what he said. Rejoice that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. He's like, when you are suffering and you're being made fun of and they're blaspheming God because of you, God's actually getting glory in that. You're like, how? Because you're living your life right. And God gets all the credit. Because we're dumb and crazy and weird and we're all jerks, right? But when we live our lives like Christ, it's not because we're really cool or because of the abilities that we have. It's because God gave us the strength, gave us the, the, uh, the ability to live like Christ. And he gets all the glory when somebody makes fun of us for living like Christ. Does that make sense? Did you guys follow that? It was kind of like, God does all the work. And when we do what God wants us to do and people make fun of us for it, it means we're doing it right. Okay. But, then he kind of flips the coin. Let none of you suffer as a murderer. Like, if you kill somebody and somebody's like, I can't believe you did that, you're so stupid. Oh, I'm glad that I'm getting persecuted for Jesus' sake. No, you killed somebody. Oh, I'm thrown in prison, but you know what? I should be blessed. No. (laughs) He's saying, some people, they like annoy people and get on their nerves and do stupid things because they think, you know, if if those people come back at them, they're 
somehow God is blessing them. It's like, no. He's saying that when you're a Christian, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, and uh-oh, junior hires, high schoolers, notice, men, women, 40s under, 40s older, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Oh, no. That's where everybody in the room gets hit with an arrow and falls to the ground. It's when the Word of God is like, you're like, well, I've never murdered anyone. I haven't really stolen anything. I'm not considered an evildoer per se. But when you start to talk about getting involved in other people's matters, you're like, wait, that's like murder? Depends on what you do. When you're like, um, my friend sent me over here because you did this and all that stuff. You know what? There should be nobody. In, if, there's some, if there's a difference between people, they need to get that right with themselves and with God. There's no middleman. When you meddle in and you gossip and you try to insert yourself into all these different things, and there are some people that just love to be in the middle and caught up and they know all the stories, they know all the secrets, and they, everybody you know, treats them nice because they know a lot of bad stuff about people. And they could just blab it at any time. Being a busybody. I could get caught up in that just as easily as you, just as easily as anybody. And I may be thinking that it's, you know, I'm, I'm helping this person. Maybe you're not. You have your business. You don't like when people get involved. Don't get involved in other people's business because it's between either them and the person that they're dealing with or it's between them and God. Some people just like to kind of get their hands everywhere and, and it really messes things up sometimes. So, you know, those of you that love gossip, those of you that love to IM and be like, did you hear that? I don't know why we always have to do this. Every time we talk about IM, we're like, nah, nah. I guess it's just like the universal symbol, but we do that. How many of you have done that? And, you know, if you raise your hand, nobody's going to be like, you, I found you, I knew it was you. It's like, raise your hand, come on. How many of you have, like, gotten involved in somebody else's business? And they said, yo, mind your own business. And you're like, and you have your argument or whatever. Has anybody ever said to somebody, mind your own business? Or has anybody ever said, had that said to them? Okay. Those of you who didn't raise your hand are liars. I'm just kidding. Um, But some of you may have either deserved to have that said to you, or if you said it to somebody else, maybe you were just being mean or something. But a lot of times, you know, we're in other people's business. And sometimes it actually is for good reasons. You know, like, I'm trying to protect you. You don't even know what you're getting involved in. And people are like, yo, mind your own business. I'm like, no, I can't. Because you know what? If I mind my own business, you're going to get hurt. Or somebody's going to abuse you. Or somebody's going to, you know, something's going to happen. But there are other times when people just like to be, you know, in the center of everything and like to mix it up. And that's not cool. He says, yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, and it's interesting because in the Bible, the word Christian doesn't appear that often. It, re- it appears in Acts when it says, and they called them Christians, and that was the first time at Antioch. And here he says, if you suffer as a Christian. The word Christian can either be like Christ or little Christ. And we throw the name Christian around like it's like, I don't even know. I mean, we just, it's just like a label. Like human being, Christian. I mean, we just like, throw it. We're like, I'm a Christian? What does that really mean? That's like when you, you talk to somebody and they're like, well, I'm Catholic. And I'm not picking on Catholicism or anything, but it's like, when was the last time you went to Mass? I'm like, I don't know, like 15 years ago? I'm like, 
you're not really a Catholic. That's just kind of like the church you grew up in. You're not a Christian just because, you know, you decide that, okay, that's the religion that I follow. No. Christianity is submitting your life to Christ and being like Him. So, if you're suffering because you are being like Christ, don't be ashamed, he says, but let him glorify God in this matter. Let him not be ashamed. I love that. It's like there's nothing to be ashamed of. I'm reading a book. I'm just about done. The Mexico people got it. 50-day devotional. I've actually not missed a day, which is like, any time I've ever had a devotional, I'm like, never. Now that I've said this, I'll probably forget to do it and, you know. But I'm like right at the end. I'm like getting to Romans chapter 16. And it's called I'm Not Ashamed. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul's like, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not like, yeah, I, I kind of, I'm kind of a Christian. And, you know, I believe that Jesus is real. He's not like whispering that under his breath. He's like, yo, I'm not ashamed. Romans, <coughs> sorry. Romans 10, 11. Let me just find these verses real quick. I just want to read them for you guys. Thanks for being patient and waiting. I'm glad that we switched because if we didn't, right now it would actually be almost 11 o'clock and I'd be still teaching and you guys would be like falling out of your chairs. Romans 10, 11 says, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. God promises that. If you believe in him, you're not going to be put to shame. Sure, you may feel kind of made fun of and, you know, reproached or, made, you know, reviled. But you're not going to be put to shame. And it's interesting because in Hebrews 2.11 it says that Jesus isn't ashamed to be called our brother. And in Hebrews 11.16 it says God is not ashamed to be called our God. The funny thing is, is that we are ashamed of him. Shouldn't it be the other way around? That's like your dad is Donovan McNabb. But problem is, is that you were really bad and you're in juvenile, juvenile detention somewhere. And you're embarrassed of your dad. And he's not embarrassed of you. That's kind of the, the... I mean, that's really rough. But think about that. Okay, your dad is like Mr. NFL quarterback, number one quarterback in the NFC. In the NFC East, definitely. I mean, look at the quarterbacks in there. I'm just kidding. Uh, never mind. Um, okay, Don and McNabb. Would you ever be like, oh man, I can't believe I know this guy. And he's like, hey... What's up, Jeff? And I'm like, oh, it's Don McNabb again. He won't leave me alone. Gosh, no way. And meanwhile, I'm like, Mr. Shame. Like, everybody's like, whoa, you're related to him? He's a loser. That's your son? And he's like, no, no, I'm not ashamed of him. I love him. He's awesome. And I'm like, man. I mean, doesn't that seem kind of ridiculous? If anybody should be ashamed of, of anybody, it should be him of me, not me of him. I'm like, wow, my dad's Don McNabb. God is not ashamed to be called our God. Why are we ashamed to call him our God? That's a challenge to me, man. I remember one time I was riding on a septibus. And I had, why why is that funny? It's a septibus. Those are the buses that are in Philadelphia. And I live in Philadelphia. You making fun of me because I had to take a bus? (laughs) We're almost done. And I had a lot of buttons on my backpack. Jesus saves and things like that. I was probably about 16 years old. And a bunch of really tough-looking guys got on the bus. And I took the buttons off my bag and put them in. And as soon as I did, as soon as I got off the bus, God was like, 
why'd you do that? And I was like, why did I do that? I failed. He's like, you know what, that's okay. You'll do it next time. You'll get it right. You won't be ashamed of me. And you know what? I never had that situation again, but there have been times when I could have totally stepped down. I mean, I was never honest at the bus in that kind of scenario, but there have been other times when God has put me in the situation, well, are you going to be ashamed of me, or are you going to be proud? Are you going to be loving? Are you going to be thankful? Are you going to be glad that I'm your God? Are you going to represent me to other people? And I didn't let him down. And then I did. And then I didn't. And then I did. You know what? I make mistakes. We all make mistakes. But he's saying, don't be ashamed. Glorify God. What's interesting is that Jesus told the people that he healed not to tell anybody. And they told everybody about him. He tells us to tell everybody and we tell no one. It's a challenge to me, especially. Sure, I can talk about God when, you know, I'm called upon at a retreat or on a Sunday night or at school, but how often do I just strike up a conversation about Jesus with somebody I don't know? It's really comfortable and easy sometimes when you know you're not going to get persecuted, when you know you're not going to be put to shame, when you know that people aren't going to point and laugh and call you an idiot or a loser. But this is striking me as much as it may be striking you, these words... For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Wouldn't it make you mad if a dad punished other kids while his own kids ran wild? And I've met parents like this when they're like, you know what, you need to keep your kids in order. Meanwhile, their kids are like punching them in the legs, and they're like, you know what, your kids are really misbehaved. And he's like, Meanwhile, the kid's like calling the dad by the first name and disrespecting him and stuff. He's like, oh, maybe you want a timeout? Oh, no? Okay, you're fine. He's like, you need to, you know, get the rod on that kid. Like, what? He's like telling me how I'm supposed to do things and look at his kids. God isn't that kind of dad. It says the judgment begins at the house of God. God disciplines his kids first. And he says, if it starts with us, What's going to happen to those who don't obey the gospel of God? If God allows suffering to happen to his own kids for their perfection, what's going to happen for people that aren't his kids? And what's the suffering going to be like for them? You see people that aren't saved and they have relatives die and they're at funerals and they're just like, they have no idea what to do. They have no hope. Imagine the suffering that you you deal with on a daily basis when you're not saved and there's no hope. We suffer and, and we get so brokenhearted and downtrodden sometimes, but we have hope. And he's saying, what's it like for those that don't obey the gospel of God? Now, and he quotes Proverbs, If the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? We've got to remember, we suffer for our purification now, our perfection. They're going to suffer for eternity later. Jesus endured our judgment on the cross so we don't have to. If a righteous man does not enter heaven on his own merit, and this is what Jesus said throughout all his teaching to the Pharisees, you know, your own righteousness doesn't amount to much. What happens to the ungodly and the unrighteous? This is something that we need to think about. We need to pray for the lost. If you, who, who, you know, acts like a Christian, if that's not enough, 
to get you into heaven. You need to actually surrender your life. I mean, people can not— we've been talking about it all retreat long, and it's just kind of fallen into place. Being a Christian is just not—it's not about not doing things. It's about a direction that you're in. Gil talked about it. Brian talked about it. Now I'm talking about it. Maybe this is something that God wants you to hear. It's not about just, you know, like, okay, I'm not going to do this. It's about, I don't want to do this because I love you too much. It's not, I can't do this because all the other Christian people think I shouldn't, and I don't want to look stupid in front of them. No. It's, I don't want to do this because God has something far better. He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Commit is a banking word used for leaving money on deposit with a trusted friend. So when we commit our souls to God, they're in good hands. Commit your soul to God as to a faithful creator, because that's what he is. He created us to fellowship with him. Let's not be ashamed of him. He created us. Don't care if people make fun of you or mock you or you suffer because of him. Because if you're being like Christ, he suffered. If you're living a life like Christ and people are making fun of you because of it, know that you're in good company because people thought Jesus was crazy too. And God is looking down, even though people are like, whatever, dude, you're crazy. God's looking down like, you're totally in my will. Let him no longer live his life in the flesh to the lusts of men, but for the will of God. We've spent enough of our past time doing what unbelievers do. And they think it's weird that we don't want to do it anymore. But you know what? That's okay. Because God is pleased. Commit your souls to him as to a faithful creator doing good. And God's going to bless you. Don't abstain from things because, you know, you have to or somebody's going to beat you up or people aren't going to like you. Abstain from sin because God is so much better. 